I'm Cheryl State Bryson, mom, divorcee, health nut, and host of the Healthy Mom After Divorce podcast, where I help divorced moms get healthy, create financial stability, and develop emotional fortitude while they master co-parenting their kids. The place is here, and your time is now. So let's do this. Hey, Healthy Mamas, welcome to the 23rd episode of the Healthy Mom After Divorce podcast. Find the full transcript for this episode at healthymomafterdivorce.com slash 23. And if you're new here, my name is Cheryl, and I'm so glad you've decided to take the time to listen. And if you haven't had the chance yet, don't forget to go back and listen to all the earlier episodes. So I have a question for you. What generation are you in? You know what I'm talking about, right? Are you Gen Z, born somewhere between 97 and the early 2010s? Or maybe you're Gen Y like me, also known as a millennial, born somewhere between 81 and 96. Maybe you're a Gen Xer, born somewhere between 65 and 80. And then of course there's the baby boomers, born somewhere between 46 and 64. Most of us know where we land because no matter the generation you're part of, there's always narratives around it, isn't there? Not always good ones. The conversations around values, work ethics, careers, homeownership, the environment, child rearing seems endless. And they're not just conversations. It's not uncommon for them to spiral into arguments wrought with tension and frustrations. I mean, we've been hearing boomers and millennials go at it for years. There are just so many differences between generations on how things were done and how the world works for them. Take raising children, for example. Think back to how you were raised or what you know about how your parents were raised. Now think of how you're raising your own kids now. If you're like many moms, you want to change some or maybe a lot of the things your parents and grandparents did. There's new information coming out all the time. And when you think back to your childhood, the good and the bad, you vow to carry forward some parts, but make changes on others. There is an entire gentle parenting movement right now aimed at reforming how we raise our little ones. These days, the cultural zeitgeist talks all about Gen Xers and millennials being raised by an emotionally unavailable baby boomer generation, which is part of why there is such a shift in child rearing. And the baby boomer generation was raised by the silent generation who came of age during the Depression and World War II, and whose parents fought in that war. And all of this generational trauma, passed on over and over again, has had massive impacts. And every generation tries to do a little better than the one before, don't they? I mean, most people are doing their best with the hand they're dealt, but that doesn't mean parents over the years didn't make big mistakes and will continue to do so until the end of time. Makes me wonder what the newer generations like Gen Z and Alpha will say about us. What will our adult children think of how we raise them and the choices we made? Will we have disagreements with our adult kids about how we did things and how they do things in their adult lives? I'd like to say the answer is no, but that's just hopeful thinking. If you're like me, you're doing your best, learning along the way and working to improve, but are far from perfect. 
Think of how many generational disagreements we hear around dinner tables, in workplaces, on social media. They come in many forms on a litany of topics, but to me, all of them have a particular flavor. You know the one, the, well, back in my day, flavor. It's amazing how quickly those five words can turn the temperature of a disagreement way up. And sometimes they're used when sharing a funny anecdote, but a lot of the time they're being said as a fond recollection of how something was done with an edge of judgment on how it's not being done this way today, and that must be the cause of whatever issue is being discussed. It got me thinking, where does this mentality come from? What is dad or grandma or auntie thinking when they use a familiar way of doing things from their childhood or their parents' childhood, whether good or bad, as a criticism on how current generations operate? Now, I know this question will have a ton of layers and nuance, and I'm certainly no expert, but I do like to consider what might be going on. Maybe the fact that it's simply familiar as part of it. And, you know, maybe they're also defending their parents' actions because they see any criticism of them as disloyal, particularly with the Gen X and baby boomer generations who were often raised to respect their parents no matter what. As kids, they were part of the be seen and not heard generations. And frankly, maybe there's even some merit in what they're saying. I'm not suggesting that any generation does everything wrong. There are absolutely many things we can learn from past generations. I mean, you don't live on this planet for 40, 50, 90 years without learning a thing or two. But I also think there's another element, something that is underneath that familiarity, loyalty, and lessons learned. At its core, I think these sorts of statements stem from a natural tendency to romanticize our memories, in this case, our childhood and how we were raised. Now, that's not to say that most childhoods are not good ones, because plenty are. Lots of people will report a mixture of good and bad experiences. But there are still a lot of people that will have far too many experiences in the bad column, causing long-lasting trauma. Some parts of our childhoods are so painful that our brain finds ways to cope with the trauma so we can function. And one of those ways is by letting some of those bad memories fade and strengthening the ones that bring us joy. And of course, this is a good thing. Our brains helping us remember the good and forget the bad makes a ton of sense for our well-being and health as adults. But it can also trick us into thinking our childhood was better than it was. So when someone tells you that back in their day, kids were better behaved because the principal had a belt, they may be recalling the more positive memory of the resulting control the school had over the kids and how that helped everyone get their work done and respect the adults. But they may be forgetting the fear and anxiety they had every single day when they walked to school, knowing that today might be the day that they are the unfortunate recipient of school-mandated abuse. Now, I know what you're thinking. What the heck does this have to do with being a divorced mom? Well, I'll tell you. I've noticed that many divorced moms look at their, quote, failed marriage this way too. In moments of doubt, fear, pain, regret, they have a tendency to think fondly of the parts of their marriage that brought them joy. They remember the times they laughed, or maybe their romantic honeymoon. 
And they use these memories to paint their entire marriage with a romanticized shade of rose. When we're in pain and trying to heal, our brain is trying to help by reminding us of all the things that aren't painful and maybe glossing over the parts that were very painful. It makes sense, too. I mean, we can't heal if we spend all our time re-traumatizing ourselves, thinking about the infidelity, the pain, the sadness, the fear, the abuse, the loss that we felt. There are times and places that are appropriate to address these traumatic events, and it's important to do that. But there does come a time when looking back no longer serves us. And as we heal, if those painful memories are willing to fade away, we should let them. But they're still part of our story. And what I'm seeing here is, in those moments of fond recollection of our marriage, we need to remember past generations and their anecdotes about the good old days. We know now that the fond memories of our parents are not the only memories. They're just the ones that get repeated in an effort to live peaceful lives. It's the same with your, quote, failed marriage. So when your brain is pulling up all these thoughts that make you doubt your decision and question your choice to get a divorce and conjures up all sorts of guilt... I don't want you to just remember the quiet, calm classrooms, but also the fear of the belt. And to continue with this analogy, you don't even need to remember the details about the belt or try to remember anything painful like when you got the belt, but just remembering that there is always more to a story. When you're beating yourself up asking, why did I leave? Or I should have stayed and tried harder. Just remind yourself that there's more to the story, and you were a different person back then. A person living in a multifaceted reality filled with all sorts of emotions, goals, thoughts, experiences. You need to trust that person. Trust that she had a reason to make the choices that she did. Trust that there are things your brain is choosing to fade out to protect who you are now. I have found that after you're out of a marriage, particularly an abusive one as I am, you get to the point in your post-divorce co-parenting life when you're done looking back. You are done questioning yourself, revisiting your choices, reliving the pain and the fear, telling your story over and over again. You're done focusing on the trauma, on the abuse, on all the terrible things that happened to you. And that doesn't mean they're erased. They're just part of the earlier chapters of your book, and you're reading on now. You get to a point where you decide to turn around, look forward, take a deep breath, and ask yourself, okay, now what? You're done with the chaos, done with the drama. And that doesn't mean that it's all over, because if you have a high-conflict co-parent, they will always try to bring chaos drama, fear, and manipulation to the mix. But you don't have to get into the ring anymore. You don't need to put on the gloves. You don't need to fight anymore. And the question that remains is, now what? And that's where I come in. My clients and I figure out their now what together, whether it's in a 90-minute stability session or through my four-month VIP stability program. 
Yes, many of them are survivors of abuse. Yes, many of them have worked and continue to work through their trauma. Yes, they still co-parent with their high-conflict ex, and there are ongoing challenges with that. But there is so much more to life. And when you're co-parenting with someone who wants to continually pull you back into the life you had with them, this is all the more important. Now what, healthy mama? Is it a change in your career? Is it getting back to daily exercise or running a 10K? Is it saving for that trip with the kids? Is it paying off debt? Is it going back to school? Is it writing a book? Is it buying a house? You got this, mama. And if you've listened to other episodes of this podcast, you know that this is where I tell you to keep your chin up. But today, I'm going to tell you why I say that. If your chin is down, you're looking at the ground. And on the ground are all the footprints you've made that are behind you, showing you how far you've come. And that's important to notice. But there comes a point where you celebrate those achievements by lifting your chin up and looking forward. You have made it so far, and there is so much more to come. Now what, healthy mama? That is the question, and probably one of the most important ones you'll ever answer. And do you know why? Because healthy moms raise healthy kids. Thank you so much for listening. Please leave a review. And if you like what you heard, share this episode with other mums. Don't forget to follow me on social media. And if you want to learn more about me and what else I have to offer, head over to healthymomafterdivorce.com. I can't wait to connect with you.